Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of John. The book of John, chapter 6. We're going to read about a dozen verses to give some context to the one verse that we're going to really key in on this morning. Over the past um, two or three weeks, I've really been seeking the Lord about um, His direction on what we should study this fall. And um, the answer kind of came at an unlikely time yesterday morning uh, as I was mowing my yard, which was ironic (laughs) in terms of what He impressed upon my heart and mind. Uh, Julie was out of town. The kids were kind of getting themselves breakfast. So I thought, well, I've got some time away from everything else and there's nothing to distract me, no phone or internet or anything else. So I decided as I mowed, as I usually do, to to ask the Lord for insight and to, to give me some direction. And I had spent some time in prayer when I got up, but then Matthew decided that he wanted to hang out and watch TV. Um, so we did that for a while and then I got to the work of the day. And I didn't really have enough time with the Lord or time in his presence to kind of get my my heart going. So as I started to mow before I started to ask him for direction, I, I felt very humbled by the setting for my prayer, that it was it had, it had taken me getting out with the lawnmower to kind of be able to focus and, and find time to call on him. And as I did that, as I started to pray, this is just giving you some sense of how the Lord works sometimes, I started to reflect on how easily... Uh, and how often I can be undisciplined in terms of my spiritual development. Not to mention the fact that it had been a while since I had exercised, so I was feeling very guilty about that. I I basically felt like a loser at the time. So it was really a a pleasant, wonderful time as I'm mowing my yard, which was also like four feet high, so I felt like a loser to my neighbors. Um, But, you know, that insecurity, I think, was good. Because I started to confess to the Lord that, that I fail too often, that just struck by my own inadequacy and my own uh, lack, of, lack of being where I need to be. And I asked him to forgive me and, and, to, and to help me be more faithful in some areas of my life. And it was at that point that the Holy Spirit really started to impress things on my heart. One of the things was I can't be alone in feeling that way. I'm sure other Christians feel that way and that that really that we should um, take the fall to study how to redeem our time better for the Lord. How to be more godly in our lives. How to be more efficient in what we do. How to prioritize uh, many areas of our life uh, for the Lord. You know, in 1 Timothy 4.7, Paul tells Timothy to discipline himself for the purpose of godliness. And that really kind of piggybacks on what we've been studying as we went through the book of 1 Peter. We've been learning the importance of moving on to maturity spiritually and, and how we need to, to reach a, a different place in terms of our walk. And, and now that we've seen the need and now that we've seen some of the goals emphasized in what Peter taught us, we need to learn how to get there. And I want to be specific over the next uh, month or two in terms of practical application. I'm going to look closely at the foundational Areas in which we need to be fervent to be disciplined so that we will become more like the Lord because that's what godliness is. Godliness is being like God. So if we are going to be like God, and that's a very humbling and a very sobering and a very strong phrase, that you and I would be like God. He's delivered us. He's transformed us. He's changed our mind. He's sanctified us. 
and he's filled us with his spirit. So now he says, I want you to look just like me. And we know God's holy and we know God's righteous and we know God is pure. So that expectation is not just kind of a nice thought, but not a reality. That's actually what he expects from us to look just like him. Now, there are going to be two very strong opponents that are going to fight us uh, if we let them. The first, obviously, is the devil. He's going to fight any potential maturation in our lives, primarily by going after our mind. He's going to try to dissuade us and distract us, and by going after our heart because he wants to corrupt us. The other enemy is more subtle, and, and honestly, I'm convinced that we don't feel like we have as much ability to fight the second enemy as we do to fight the first enemy. The first enemy is the devil, but the second enemy is time. I'm reasonably sure that if I said, what is your number one complaint? What's the number one conflict in your life that the vast majority of us would say, I don't have enough time. Most, if not all of us, are are so busy, we don't have enough time to get it all done. It's wearing us down to the point of emotional and physical exhaustion, but also it's taking a toll on our spiritual maturation. How many of us really could could have used more time in the schedule this week? There weren't enough hours, right? You You could have added an eighth day and filled that up and still been a little frustrated. Am I right? Because we're just swamped all of a sudden it's the weekend again and tomorrow's monday and we hit the ground running and it'll be the weekend again and and we're just kind of going and going and going it's october in eight days i mean this is how fast things are going and and you may feel a little out of control and like i just i can't i can't get on top of it but if we don't get on top of it now months will pass and we'll be in the same place we are now in a few months except we'll be more run down So this morning, I want to begin a new series that I'm calling It's Time. Because the Bible tells us to redeem the time because the days are what? Evil. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Now, we've seen evidence just yesterday that the days are evil. This mass uh, terrorist attack in Kenya in a mall. Uh, Multiple shootings over the weekend in Chicago. This story from Pakistan about a five-year-old girl who was gang-raped. I mean, there's a, there's a constant reminder that l- the world is evil, and there's an urgency for us to not only make good use of our time, but to become very serious about being godly in every single way. Because Romans thirteen twelve says, the night is almost gone and the day of his appearing is near. As we look at the scope of human history, for however many thousands of years, the, the time frame that we are in right now is dawn. The night is breaking. We're almost finished. It's about to break today. And Jesus is coming at any moment. And once Jesus comes for his people, that's going to be the start of a judgment and the start of an accounting for every life. So when Jesus comes, how is he going to find us? In what condition is he going to find you and me? Discipline yourself. For the purpose of godliness. How well have we done that? There's always an area that's not disciplined. There's always an area that that we need to change. But it takes time. Exercise takes time. 
That's why so many health clubs have the word time in them. Have you ever noticed that? There's lifetime fitness. I researched this. This was my hard research for the week. There's lifetime fitness, anytime fitness, family time fitness, your time fitness, and my time fitness. Everything is about time. And in the same way, the exercise of our faith and the exercise of our maturity takes even more time. There are no shortcuts. You can't magically know the word of God just by saying, I'm going to know the word of God. It takes time. It takes study. It takes development. We can't automatically develop a deep prayer life without taking the time to do that. There's no shortcut. It requires constant endurance. And the opposition is not just within, with schedule and with desire and with will. The opposition is also spiritual. So as we go through these studies, I believe we really need to get some definitive goals for ourselves. The, the experts, whoever they are, say that it takes 90 days to change a habit. But let's really get these changes into stone. It's exactly 100 days from today until New Year's Day. Isn't that frightening? It's 100 days from today until New Year's Day. So let's establish our 100-day calling. I was going to call it the 100-day challenge, but that word implies that it's optional. And Being disciple and being disciplined is not optional. So we're going to set up the 100-day calling. We're going to study our calling from the Lord over the next 8 to 10 weeks, looking at what the Bible teaches us in terms of ordering our days and using our time. And the first one we're going to look at this morning is the most foundational. Everything rests on this one. And it's found here in John chapter 6 in the example that Jesus sets before us. Now, our key verse this morning is going to be verse 15. But let's start in verse 13, kind of at the end of the narrative about the feeding of the 5,000. And then we'll read through into what happens the next day. It says, so they gathered them up, all the scraps that were left over from this feast, and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So Jesus, verse 15, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. When the evening came, his disciples went to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, so they're probably going from the southern end of the Sea of Galilee to the northern end, because it's about five miles. Capernaum's at the very northern end of the Sea of Galilee. So they've rowed about three or four miles. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it's I, do not be afraid. So they were willing, you think, to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land at which they were going. The next day, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea, saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, really want to focus in on a couple thoughts here. And the first discipline that we're called to in terms of our faith and in terms of our maturation. And again, everything rests on this one. 
the first priority, the first goal, the first thing that we need to become disciplined in, and it's going to be one of the hardest, is that we need time alone in the presence of the Lord. We need time alone in the presence of the Lord. There is nothing more important. There is nothing that our walk is more dependent on than this. And it's so vital that the Gospels record multiple examples of Jesus spending time with himself, uh, by himself, in the presence of the Father. To the extent that Luke 5.16 says, Jesus would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. Now we're going to study prayer later on in this series, but for now let's just focus on this one concept. That the Son of God, who was God in flesh, but had full rights, full power, full authority in his nature, that the Son of God found it important and necessary in his time here on earth to get time alone with the Father. Now, theologically, I can't explain this. How could the Father be in heaven and Jesus be on earth? Because we know that they're one. We know that God is three in one. So that's a mystery to us that we can't comprehend and can't explain. But somehow it was a reality. What I don't want us to do is get distracted by it. Because just because my finite mind can't grasp how could the Father be here and Jesus be here, we don't want to miss the point that Jesus is setting for us. Because over and over again, he gets away by himself and spends time in the presence of Father and prays. Now, we certainly know the weight of what he was doing was immense. And the crowds that were jamming around him day after day and pushing in, and the disciples had their own needs. But, but wouldn't it seem logical that as God, even God taking on a human form, that, that God would need nothing? Why does Jesus need to pray? Why, why does he need private, focused time with the Father? We know he was fully man. Philippians 2 tells us that he emptied himself, and yet... Even in emptying himself, he had uh, every power of his deity. There's nothing in scripture that suggests that Jesus was less God while he was in flesh. He was fully God in full human flesh. I don't understand it, but that's the reality. So if he's fully God in flesh, if he has full knowledge and full power, then why does he need time alone with the Father? Well, he's in all points tempted, like we are, yet without sin. And yet these times alone in the wilderness don't seem like times where Jesus is preparing himself for temptation. They don't seem like times where he's under the weight of temptation and he has to be with the Father for comfort and strength. This is not testing time. These are intentional, purposeful times where Jesus says, i got to get away from you, away from this, away from all that's required of me, and I need to go be in the presence of the Father and be refreshed and gain strength. And it seems from the text that there are four primary reasons why he did this. And I want us to, to study these this morning because they're highly important for us. Why do we need focused time with the Lord? Why do we need to get alone and be in the presence of the Lord? We know how our debt's going to be. We know what our schedules are like. We know the demands 24-7 now of what's going on. So, so how are we really going to buy this time? 
If Jesus did it, how much more important is it for us? Because he was God in flesh. We're not. And while it's hard for us to understand how Jesus would need this, we have to think about these concepts from the standpoint of his humanity. Because he was like us. He lived like us. He was tested like us. And he's showing us the example of how we should live. Now stay here because we're coming back. Turn back to Luke chapter 6 just for a minute. and Let's try to get some, some understanding of some of the reasons why this might be necessary for us. Luke chapter 6, and I want you to just look at verse 12. Because prior to choosing his disciples, Luke chapter 6 verse 12 says that Jesus spent the whole night in prayer to God. Before he makes the decision about who he's going to call, Peter, Andrew, James, John, all the others, before he does that, He spends all night in prayer to God. Now, we'll see one possible reason in a moment why he did this. But let's not miss the first reality of this. The first reason why it's so vital for us to spend time alone in the presence of the Lord. The first reason is we just simply need it. Jesus shows here that he simply wanted to be in fellowship With the Father. Again, that's incomprehensible for us to understand how that worked. But again, don't miss the point here. Because Jesus, at the start of his public ministry, knowing the demand that it would put on him, and the opposition that he'd face, and the fact that the ending point would be the cross, that he'd eventually go to the cross, he takes time in the presence of God and he revels in that relationship. Now, how often do you and I do that? It's hard enough to get quiet, right? It's hard enough to have moments where it's just, okay, nothing's distracting me. And it's hard enough to find time to pray, and when we pray, to fully concentrate, right? But there is great value here that Jesus shows us in just being in God's presence with no qualifications and no demands. What a privilege that is to boldly approach the throne of grace where our Savior and Lord is and not to come in with our problems and not to come in with our demands and not to say, Lord, I got so much on the plate here. All right, let's start down the list because, boy, it's a busy day. Just to be there. Think about the people that you love to be with and love the most. Don't don't you just enjoy being with them? Especially if you don't get to see them very often. You don't go in with an agenda like, all right, I only got, we don't see each other but once a year, but I've only got like 20 minutes, so let's make this really good. You don't go in with a list of things that you need from them. All right, well, I haven't seen you for a while. Here's, I've been thinking about this for a while since it's six six months since we've seen each other. Here are all the things I'm going to need from you today. Instead, we just want to be with them. I find this is more and more true with my parents, who I only see once or twice a year. Or my brother and sister, who live thousands of miles away. Even my wife and kids. It's, it's easy to be ships passing in the night, isn't it? 
to only get one or two nights at the dinner table talking. And that becomes more precious as they get older. And I start to count the days until they're going to go to college. And I'll crave one night a week at the dinner table. We, we just want to be with each other. And that is more true spiritually. The older I get in the Lord, the more I just want to be in his presence and study his word and hear from him. But the enemy knows that, doesn't he? So what is the one thing that he's going to try to steal from our lives? He's going to try to steal time. He knows how important it is. So he tries to produce reasons for us to shy away from the Lord's presence. Well, I haven't prayed for a while and I feel guilty and there's a lot of sin pent up and, and I don't know if I can go to the Lord or, or maybe I'm just kind of indifferent. I don't know where God is. I haven't studied his word. I don't sense his presence at all. Or, or, or it doesn't really make any difference. I go and I listen and I don't hear anything. But, but the most effective reason that the enemy is going to give is you can't do that because it's going to take time. You don't have time. So he tries to make us very busy, and very preoccupied. As it relates to our families, let's emphasize sports and let's emphasize work and let's emphasize other responsibility. And if there's any gap in that, let's fill it in with our digital relationships rather than our personal relationships. And then he wants us to get busy and preoccupied so he can hinder us spiritually, so we won't get time in the presence of the Lord, and we won't, by extension, get wisdom for the Lord and know his leading and understand what he's doing because we've got so much. And as all this kind of stress and anxiety kind of heightens, the best thing we could do is to say, stop, I need to refocus and get in the presence of the Lord. But the more stressed we are, the more stressed we become. And the more we try to fill that, manage it, and work it, and, 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 and eventually all that time just disappears. Notice how Jesus here in verse 14, uh, verse, excuse me, verse 12, notice how he makes it a priority. Closeness with God was essential, so he goes out alone in the night. Now, for years we've heard that the best time with the Lord is in the morning. And that may be true. Start your day with the Lord. But, but at that time, society woke up very early and went to bed very early. So for Jesus, the best time for him to go out was at night. Our culture now is 24-7. There's no time that's really ideal because we're married to technology. So we have to choose the time that's best when we can focus and not be interrupted. But that also has to be very intentional. It means taking a break from technology at night and when we wake up, not jumping on our eye, whatever, first thing in the morning, right? Sometimes we roll over bed and it's like, my iPhone, my iPod, my computer, my whatever. I, I'm going to check, check what's happened in the night, like there's been some great you know, party that's been going on while we've been asleep. Oh, I missed it. Come on, you know that's true. We've got to break away from that and spend time just in the presence of the Lord. Now look at the second reason Jesus did this. He spent the whole night in prayer to God to have wisdom and understanding about God's leading. Now again, think humanly here. Because he had complete omniscience as God. But he is giving us an example. He's showing us and teaching us what we should do. 
and that we need wisdom from above so we will know what is pleasing to the Lord and how he's directing our paths. One of the greatest promises in the Bible is one that I don't think we utilize often enough. It is in James 1.5, which says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask with faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. Now, the, the condition of the promise is important. We have to fully trust God when we ask for wisdom. But when that condition is met, God says, my promise is secure and my promise is binding. I will give you wisdom and I will give it abundantly and generously. How awesome is that? When you pray by faith and you say, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I need direction. I need counsel. I need wisdom just as I'm doing as I'm mowing along, chopping down the grass. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I need direction, counsel, and wisdom on what to do next. God says, I will not only give you wisdom, but I'll give it abundantly. How many need abundant wisdom this morning? I know I do. I don't want just a little. I want a whole bunch. And God says, I'll be liberal with it. I'll give it to you abundantly and generously. And let me tell you how how true and how practical that promise is. And I debated telling this story because it sounds a little wacky. But the Lord really fulfilled this yesterday as I mowed. When the idea for this concept of talking about how we use our time started to develop in my mind, I, I asked the Lord, Lord, is this one message or is this a series? Not being mystical, you know me. Immediately, I heard the word, it's a series. Okay? All right? And then I started to think about this 90-day habit concept. And I started to try to count how many days till Christmas. And it was really depressing because it was in the 90s. And we need to start shopping now because the sales are going to start soon. But I started to think, and I got an idea in my mind. I said to the Lord, Lord, if it's exactly 100 days to New Year's, I wasn't tempting him. I just thought it was interesting. If it's exactly 100 days to New Year's, I will know for sure that you're telling me this is what we're supposed to study. So I started to count how many days, how many days left in September. October has 31. November has 30. December has 31. And it was exactly 100 days today. Now, you may think, well, that's kind of stupid, Paul. It's a dumb illustration. I don't think it is because this is what happens when we ask the Lord for wisdom. And if he can show me that much clarity as I'm mowing, imagine what he can show us when we have focused time in his presence. The Lord speaks when we listen. And we're all busy, so it's hard to find that time sometimes But that only means that the noise and the clutter is going to make it that much harder to hear him. So we have to get the noise and the clutter out of the way. And we have to say, Lord, I'm going to come into your presence and I'm going to listen. Now turn back to John 6 because God's going to do two more things for us when we do this. The third example Jesus gives us to prioritize time alone with the Lord is that we need time in his presence to gain power and strength. How many need power and strength this week? 
When we get time in the Lord's presence, he gives us power and strength. Notice in John 6.15 that he gets away from the crowd right after he's healed many of the sick and after this fear, uh, miracle of feeding thousands of people with five loaves and two fishes. And in verse 14, the verse right above it, always look at context, it says that the crowd now recognizes this is the Messiah. This is the anointed one from heaven that, that has come to be our Savior. Awesome. It's finally happened. The crowd is energized. This is why he's come. He's come to be recognized as Messiah. So wouldn't it make sense, think humanly now, wouldn't it make sense to not leave the crowd at this point and not to go up into the mountains by himself? Why not leverage the momentum? They finally get it. They recognize him. And he could say, Awesome. Now, let's push forward. But here's the wisdom of Jesus. And here's what he wants to teach us. Because he recognizes that the timing and the motive was wrong. We'll see that in the final thought in a minute. But he also knew that in his humanity, he needed to be strengthened and refreshed for the time of ministry. So what does he do? Look at the text. He gets away from the crowd. Not to run away from the people, not to be indifferent to their problems, but to be able to get into the presence of the Father and to get power to deal with the responsibility of what he's doing. All the demands, all the expectations, all the questions, the crowd pushing in, hundreds, thousands of people pushing, pressing, trying to get close. Listen, no one knew busyness like Jesus. When did he ever get a break? Even when the crowds are gone, he's still got 12 guys looking at him. What are you going to teach us now? Can we get some inside information now, Jesus? Who of us is the best? Which one? What are you going to do tomorrow, Jesus? Where are we going tomorrow? What kind of crowds? Boy, that was amazing. And they're... And Jesus gets no break. It's not like he gets to retire to his room at the Capernaum Hilton and have some downtime. He's with them constantly. Talk about having to be continuously on. He never gets a break. No wonder he withdrew to the mountains alone. And this is the great secret of personal and spiritual refreshing, that when we make time to get alone with the Lord, that we receive power from the presence and the filling of the Holy Spirit. You remember Acts 1.8? You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. How's the Holy Spirit going to come upon us? We've got to get time alone with the Lord and say, Lord, refresh me and refill me. Refresh me, refill me. Now, we usually try to get this effect through our habits. Oh, I need a nap. I need to to relax for a couple minutes. Or or I need to just have downtime. Let me just watch this TV show or this game and let me just recharge a little bit. Anybody feeling this today? Or, or, or you know what? I, just, I, need to, I need a hobby. I think I'll go play 18 holes. Or, or I'll scrapbook with my headphones on. Or, or we just need a little mini vacation. Let's get away for the weekend. Or, or, or I'll turn off the cell phone for an hour. I'll shut the computer. All those are good things. I'm not diminishing those. But there's nothing that compares to time in His presence. Because we may get a little physical strength back and a little emotional strength back. But what we need is spiritual strength from the Lord to get into the battle. And that power 
is especially important for the final reason that Jesus took off alone. Look back at the text. We need time in the presence of the Lord, this is in verse 15, to prepare for and to overcome temptation. Now we look at the text and we go, where's temptation? The devil's not there. There's nothing pressing on him. Oh, temptation's so subtle sometimes, isn't it? And there's a great subtlety to the temptation here. Because the people accept him as Messiah. He's proven himself through his teaching and his miracles. The disciples have buy-in. The people are excited. And there's a push now for him to have greater prominence. He senses that the people now want to make him king. Now again, on first glance, this would seem to be a prime opportunity for him to expand his reach. That this populist wave would now carry him to the position that he deserves. That his awareness now would increase. That his popularity would increase. That the people would now pay attention. That he could really get the message out this way. But notice what Jesus does. Perceiving that they wanted to make him king by force, the text says, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Tell me the next word. Alone. Alone. Now, wait a minute. This is the king of glory. This is the king of the Jews. The people are recognizing that he is that. So why not carry this out? This is an opportunity that potentially will go away if he doesn't seize it now. So why doesn't he? Well, the reason is born out of the first three reasons that we developed. He had spent time in the presence of the Father, and he had gotten wisdom, and he had gotten strength. And now, even in his humanity, he recognizes that this is a trap. He senses the people are going to push me forward and they're going to try to force me to be king, but their motives are wrong. They want an earthly king, but my kingdom is heavenly. I'm not there to take the nation against Rome, which is what the people really wanted. They wanted a warrior and a king who would take the nation and get Rome's influence out of Israel. That's why when Jesus is coming down the mountain on the donkey, they're crying and yelling and saying, Hosanna, here comes the king, because they thought, now, finally, we're going to give it to Rome. But Jesus says, I'm not here to be an earthly king. I came to be an eternal savior. Selfishly, they want a king to indulge them. Well, he's doing so much for us. If he's king, we can really get what they wanted. People are always thinking the politics, right? So, so if we can make him king, we'll get some material advantage. Jesus says, I'm not here for material advantage. I'm here for spiritual deliverance. But the real reason that he withdrew is that this was their plan, not his. That shows in that word that John includes that they wanted to take him to be king by force. They wanted to push him into this, and that wasn't going to happen because Jesus recognized, listen now, the mastermind behind the plan. This was typical of the devil, right? Because what happened when he was tempted in the wilderness after fasting and praying for 40 days alone, the devil comes and says, if you'll just bow down to me, if you'll just do what I want, if you'll just yield to me once, I'll give you everything. 
Jesus says, I'm not yielding to you. That's your plan. That's not mine. I don't yield to anybody. I'm here to do the will of the Father, not to act independently. Jesus didn't give in and he withdrew because he had a plan to offer us forgiveness and redemption. Redemption. What an example that is to us. Listen now. We're under constant temptation to live for ourselves. That threat never goes away. That temptation never subsides. We will constantly be pushed to act independently of the Lord. But the more time we spend in his presence, the more we'll understand the wisdom and joy of trusting him. And that's the underlying truth for everything else we're going to study. Because being close to the Lord and having wisdom and power from him is the only way we're going to develop discipline in each of the areas that we're going to study so that we will become godly. The fact that God even says to you and to me, you can become godly is beyond my understanding. Because I know myself. Paul Rhodes, godly? Paul Rhodes looks like God? How could that happen? But the Lord says, it will happen. It will happen if you will discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. If you will set your heart and your mind on me, I will make that happen. There's not a person in this room who doesn't need more time in the presence of the Lord. Right? There's not a single person in this room that can say, I actually spent too much time in God's presence this week. I don't know. I just, I got out of control. It's crazy. I just, like 55 hours, I'm just, I'm overloaded. Every one of us needs more time in the presence of the Lord. And listen, I'm speaking to myself here. That's not going to happen by good intention. It's only going to happen by us purposefully setting aside time like Jesus did to be in the presence of the Lord. It is time for us to do this, church. It is time for us to make this an unwavering priority. And we're going to emphasize this time more and more as a church starting in October. But it starts with you and me today. Every day for 100 days. And if we do it every day for 100 days, it will become so ingrained in who we are that we will not be able to think of ever going back. You ready? Let's get to it. Let's close our eyes. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, your word is so wonderful. And your leading is so powerful. And your truth is so real. And Father, this morning you've laid before us the need to spend more time in your presence. Lord, the first thing the enemy is going to do, he's doing it right now, is going to try to convince us that this is wrong. That there are too many demands, we're too busy, there's too much on the plate. It's a nice concept, but it's just not realistic. Lord, he's a liar. We only want to listen to you this morning. We only want to follow what you call us to do. And Lord, you're calling us, I'm convinced, you're calling us to spend more time in your presence. So Lord, I ask you that this morning that you do that in my life. 
you do that in the life of every person that loves you this morning. That this week there'd be no excuse that we would build into our schedule in the times where we think we need to do something else that has no eternal importance, that we just get in your presence. Even driving, Lord, even laying down to sleep, even rising up in the morning, that our first thought would be you. The distractions would not grip us. But we would recognize, oh, the greatness and the joy of being in your presence. Lord, Jesus modeled it for us, so we have to follow it. And I pray for us as a church, Lord, that you would discipline us over the next hundred days that we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Lord, change us. Change our habits. Change our attitudes. Change our actions. Change our words. That we would be holy like you. What a magnificent calling you've given us, Lord. And you fully equip us to accomplish this. So we submit ourselves to you. Excited about what you're going to do. Anticipating the change. And as it goes along, Lord, we will praise you and honor you in everything that we do. Lord, we love you and we praise you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. 100 days until first of the year. Wow, lots going to happen the next 100 days, right? 100 days. It starts today. Clock's ticking. It's time now for us to begin to change. Say, well, Paul, I'm not, I don't need that much change. That's fine. How much change you need is only what you understand. But we all need to change, right? It's 100 days, starting today. Time in the presence of the Lord. Because there's never going to be disappointment when we get in the presence of the Lord, right? Let's go out and serve Him well. Okay? God's with us. He'll equip us. And He'll meet us when we meet with Him. Let's go out energized, ready to serve. God bless you. Have a wonderful morning.